Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. HIV is still an issue in Montgomery County. The more open we're able to talk about HIV, we treat it like any other health prevention. PrEP stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis. People who are not HIV positive who may be at high risk for contracting the disease. This is a good choice for you. It's just a way for you to sort of take control and say, I'm going to do this to protect myself. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about PrEP, the HIV prevention medication. Visit doitforyoumc.org. Hey everyone, Scott Hansen here from NFL Red Zone. I hope you're checking out one hour of Five Yard Rush, one of the best podcasts on NFL football in the UK. Yo, what's happening, Rush Nation? We're back. The fantasy now, Murph. Before we get into this, fantasy football is all bar done. This is Monday night, so this will go out on Tuesday. So when you hear this, fantasy football will be done for. Well, there's week- no football tonight. Oh no, there isn't. It was late night Sunday. No Monday <laughs> night. Fantasy football's done. It doesn't matter how it doesn't matter how many times I go through this. I always get this wrong. But fantasy football is now one hundred percent done. And what does that mean? Well, it means guests are available to come back on because the week sixteen busyness has happened, and we've brought back an absolute banger. Before we get to today's guest, big man, how are you? Happy New Year! Welcome to twenty twenty one, which is twenty twenty with a one on the end. Yeah, or or twenty twenty point one. If you're going to get really nerdy like Mike me. Um, okay. Kind of like a do-over. It's like a new version of 2020. Uh, yeah, uh, all, all good. Um, I can't say it's been any different. Um, <laughs> you know, this waiting on tender hooks for for lockdowns, it feels a little bit too familiar to, to what we've been doing. Um, I guess, I mean, the one thing is, you know, for the first time in over a decade, Buccaneers are going to be playing past week 17. So that's, that's kind of new. Um, my football team, Arsenal, have won three games in a row and that's kind of new that's not happened for a long time so i guess there's some optimism in my sports teams and fantasy football is not over because we are running four no, no, playoff no, 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 playoff no, no, no. leagues no, i'm not having you do this to me i know that, that we are doing that i meant the normal fantasy oh, yeah. football season yeah i finished my uh i finished my season with a win in week 17 um 
which is a nice way to finish the season given week 16 i feel like we left some some trophies out on the shelf and uh i played a thousand and seventy five heads up games of uh fantasy football this year so i'm glad to see the rear view mirror of that a little bit and i'll tell you what my record is if you give me two seconds that almost feels like a thousand too many if you said 75 games like 15 in a league something like that you're looking at what seven leagues there that would be fine but then you played a thousand on top of that i mean what's what's going yeah, on i i finished with a record of 609 wins and 466 losses and 11 titles so not not the worst fantasy football season ever but definitely won't be playing 1075 games <laughs> next year that's for sure but anyway enough about that hey hey yeah we brought on a guest it's time to bring back host of the fits on fantasy podcast contributor to the footballgirl.com and according to fantasy pros just some small tiny fantasy website over there he is the most accurate ranker on the planet it's pat fitz morris pat Welcome back to Five Yard Rush. Congratulations on being the top ranker in the fantasy community. How are you doing, buddy? Oh, doing well, Stocks and Murph. Great to talk to both of you guys again. Thank you so much. Uh, greatest ranker for this year only, of course. Uh, an ongoing thing, certainly. There are a lot of very good rankers who, uh, I don't know if I'm on that. You are. Elite You've had a great tier. record over the last five years. Let's not let's not go past, you know, let's not overlook the top five and top ten finishes you've had in the last few years. No, very kind, very kind. Thank you. But uh yeah, so good to be on with both of you guys. Uh so good to to catch Murph when Arsenal is, you know, no longer in danger of being relegated. Uh, That's right. Still nowhere near the top of uh the table where, you know, my spurs dwell, but uh oh, but it's all right. They're they're working on it. Enjoy it. Enjoy it while you can. Uh, it's only, I think, it's that gap's not that big now. It's what nine points, considering it was like twenty, like a few weeks ago. Uh, <laughs> it's closing. It's closing it really not. Yeah, no. Listen, hats off to Spurs. Um, they they're having a, a good season, and you know we're just waiting for the Jose Mourinho universe to implode, like it yeah, always that, does. <laughs> it will happen, I'm sure, at some point. It will, but yeah, no. It's uh, it's great to have you back. It's you're always one of my favorite guests and uh yeah i, I was like right this is the guy we're going to kick off 2021 big year big uh, range of guests we're going to have on in the next few months but you were you were at the top of my list so i'm glad that we were able to get you to kick off uh the return of our guests because it felt very strange in in 2023 the season we didn't have as many guests on with our recording schedules being at home so much with little ones and i've got a very loud voice so that would mean keeping my son up more than one night a week which um isn't ideal and puts me in trouble uh, <laughs> to say the least and then uh yeah and also i know uh you guys and everyone in the states have obviously had what's uh what's been going on we last spoke in the summer i believe so what what's been going on and you know becoming the best fantasy ranker on on the planet well, it was nice to have the football season as a diversion and, and just sports, I guess, generally as a diversion. Do you remember back in the early days of the pandemic when there were no sports in March and April? I mean, it seemed like time was just crawling along. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if they did it there, but over here, a lot of channels played like classic games, classic football, baseball, basketball games from the past. And I get, it was kind of fun. I got to show some of my, some of the, the, favorite games from my childhood to my son for the first time who hadn't seen some of these and that was kind of cool but um 
yeah, needed sports to get going. And uh, boy, other than that, how have I been killing time? I played a lot of golf this summer. I actually went from being a terrible golfer to just a mediocre golfer, which was a, a huge uh, leap up in class, I guess. So, um, you know, that's nice. It's it's It was a good year to have a public golf course uh, just a few hundred yards away. So I could walk out my front door and be beside the 15th green in less than a minute. And, um, you know, that's that was sort of nice to have, uh, be able to get that fresh air and, you know, not not making the long commute to the office every day, a lot more free time to golf. So I'm grateful for that, I guess. Pat, I think so, you, you might have done yourself a disservice by saying mediocre. What What is your handicap right now? Uh, I, so I don't have a registered handicap, but I'd say, you know, bef- pre-pandemic, it probably would have been like 20 or something. And, and maybe now I could play to like a 13 or a 14. That's good. That's good. The average in the UK, if you are below an 18 handicap, you're considered better than average. So you're you're better than average, Pat. Come on. I'm I'm not better than average. So you're not only the world's greatest fantasy ranker, but you're also an above average golfer. (laughs) I don't know if uh, there are a lot of golfers who I would not be fit to uh, play at a foursome with, but uh, you know, I'll I'll take the improvement, I guess. (laughs) I I always remember, I think the first time I really came across you was on, um, on the fantasy pros podcast with, uh, with with tags or you had tags on your show um, uh, but i think it was across them both i think you both came on each other's podcast in a short period of time yes. a couple of years ago and uh you talked about golf then what's tags like as a golfer i mean do you we do you guys you know i know you don't get to play a lot but would you would you say you'd beat him in a, in a skins game no 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 so we uh well we played um we've played tw- i'm trying to think of whether it was two or three times uh, where we've actually played rounds together. And then this year we just play, we met, we always do this the week, uh, just the first week of the NFL season. We do it like a, a couple days before that Thursday kickoff, like our last chance to sneak this in before we know we're both going to be really busy. Uh, him, especially, you know, going probably 80 to a hundred hours a week during the season. Um, so yeah, we, we live not far from each other. And uh, we get together for a round and um, tags is definitely better than I am. And tags hits it a mile. Like tags is a strong dude. Um, So he hits it a long way. And uh, this year we just went to this place. uh, I don't know if they have top golf there. It's just sort of like a a combination of a bar and a driving range. Mm -hmm. And like, you can play these little games where you're shooting at targets and, and, for a contest. I've never beaten tags on the golf course. I think I beat him at this place, (laughs) but in his defense, the pandemic kept him home with his like toddler age son constantly. So he didn't play golf all spring or summer, like not one round. So tags was completely out of practice while I was playing like four or five rounds every week. So uh, not really a fair contest there. But that's what he told you. (laughs) <laughs> secretly secretly he was sneaking off in yeah, between the... <laughs> parenting roles and he, he was just using that as his whole you know he he's basically doing a doug peterson with the whole i want to win thing yeah exactly, benching. Yeah. exactly. <laughs> this, the daycares weren't really closed uh that was all just an excuse yeah exactly that let's let's take it for <laughs> what it is um 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So in terms of, you know, lasting on the pandemic, any any new hobbies? You mentioned you watched some old games, but have you learned anything or, or done anything that perhaps you would never have had the time to do before that you've ended up taking up and enjoying? Boy, not really. A lot of it was dedicated to the golf like that, especially during the football season when I had any free extra time. And luckily, like we're, we're kind of I'm in Illinois, so the northern part of the country and fall can be kind of inclement at times. And we had a really nice fall. So basically, when I wasn't working at the day job or fantasy, I was golfing, you know, or occasionally spending time with my wife and kids, too, I suppose. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, now that the season's over and there's a little more downtime, I've, I've got some books lined up. It'll be nice to read a book again. That tends to not happen during football season. Um, and that's about it. Have not uh, picked up a guitar and learned to play yet, unfortunately. I should probably do that at some point. That's that's on the bucket list. But, um, yeah, so that's about it. We'll, we'll see what it brings now without, uh, you know, weekly football. Mm, yeah. Very much so. Before Absolutely. we before we move on to football, Pat, if you do manage to make it over to London and you find yourself with a free morning or afternoon, I work on a golf course and it's 10 minutes up the road from Merv, 10 minutes from my house. So if you make it over to London, we can get you on a train out to the to the suburbs and we can get you around a golf at my golf course. Absolutely we talk, no trouble. Yeah, we talked about that last time, Stocks. I, I would oh, love to play. And I've, yeah. I've played a lot of, I've actually done three golf trips to Scotland, but I've never played anywhere in England. So I would love to see some of the courses there. Right. Well, we'll make that happen. I will probably just either caddy or drink. <laughs> you can do both of those things at the same time. That's Perfect. right. Then that that is my role. I mean, I just I golf has been one of those things, and I lived in Florida and never got the proper time to do it properly, and just never had the time to really just pick it. And I'd love to one day. Maybe I can learn when we're not in a pandemic and and do that. But yeah. I think I've, I wouldn't want to hold you two gentlemen up, so I'll, I'll keep scoring, caddy, and and, and and drink. I think they're, they're the things. Counting and drinking are like two of the top three things I can do in this world. So <laughs> you would be a perfect golf companion. Yeah, exactly. Um, but let's talk about the 2020 season. It is in the books. It's done um, in terms of from a fantasy football slash regular season perspective. Um, so how did you get on uh, this year in terms of your leagues and uh, any titles, uh, any noteworthy victories this year? No, it was an absolutely horrid season for me, uh, as well as it went with the, the weekly rankings. Like my teams just were terrible. Um, boy, what was it? I probably had like fifth between dynasty redraft, the tournament leagues I do in like yours and the Scott Fishbowl, probably about 15 teams. Uh, two semifinals, one final, and that was a loss. Um, well under 500. Uh, just a really bad season. Um, <laughs> just seemed like one of those years where I was among the leaders, if not the leader in opponent points against in every redraft league. Um, you know, I can't really say that injuries hit me harder than anyone else, but um, – yeah, it was just kind of one of those tough years. Lose a lot of close games. Um, you know, really good luck, actually, with injuries for the first four or five weeks where I was thinking, like, okay, I've had some bad luck, but I can come back because at least my teams are healthy. And then the injuries hit 
in a big wave and, and sort of finished off, dashed the hope of recovery. So yeah, it was kind of a strangely bad season. Um, and strangely, that sounds arrogant, but it, it just, uh, you know, normally I finished like a little over 500 at least and uh, well below 500 this year. It was kind of a disaster. Yeah, I think they. I'd love to meet the person that went 500 across multiple leagues this year because I think like you had an extreme. Everyone I've spoken to has either finished below 500 by quite a bit or about 500 by quite a bit. Yet to meet anyone that really was around 500. I think you either had teams that just took off and accelerated or you had teams that just absolutely tanked. Um, I reckon I was pretty much on the bubble of 500 i haven't worked yeah i had a couple of teams went undefeated and then lost in the final and then i had a couple of teams which went like one and 14 or just so they balanced each other out and then pretty much all my other teams we had a couple of joint teams that were sort of 10 and something but everything else was like seven and seven and a nine or Mm. the other way around and stuff so i reckon i'm if you i reckon i could be the closest to 500 you know I mean, yeah, we had a lot of set. Our combined teams we had a lot of seven and six, six and seven teams. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was it was an interesting, an interesting year for sure. Was there anything in particular, Pat, that you noticed from your teams or just in general that? And I mean, we'll do a deep dive in a, in a minute, but sure. uh, in terms of just that, you're going to park away and think I'm going to take that into into 2021 in terms of. Um, immediate insight or just a, a top level thing that you think from my, from the teams that you built? Um, I, so I do think, and though I don't have as many teams as you have Murph, um, when you have like more than a dozen teams, mm. I do think diversification is a good strategy and I maybe did not diversify my roster enough. And um, I, part of that might be because I, it seemed like I never drew a draft spot in the middle of the draft, which is kind of generally where I like to draft from. It seemed like I was either top three or four or bottom three in all my drafts. And um, it it seemed to lead to me picking a lot of the same guys in the first three or four rounds. And um, so I was grossly overweight on George Kittle this year, which really hurt me. Um, I, I maybe banked a little too hard on a Joe Mixon uh, rebound year, which hurt me. Um, just wasn't able to um, mix the portfolio quite as as much as I normally do. Generally, I just, you know, I, I care more about in draft season avoiding the landmine players, the guys I just feel like are, are falling knives that I don't want to catch. And uh-huh. just stay away from those guys and then all the guys who I'm not opposed to drafting mix and match and, and get, you know, at least a little bit of representation with, you know, each of those guys. And uh, I, I didn't do a good enough job of that this year. And it kind of cost me. Well, I think it was a strange year because it was from, from the point of the drafts themselves. Like I found that this year going into 2020, there were really clear tears, probably more so than ever in most positions you had really really clear tiers that everybody kind of stuck to so it got to the point that in most drafts the first two rounds there wasn't much diversification most people took McCaffrey at one Barkley at two and then your your real flip flip point was Zeke or Kamara at at three four then you'd have your Cook Thomas in the five to six range and then you'd Mm -hmm. have Adams Hill Mixon Chubb 
you know, uh, and and all the like. And you really didn't. It, the, the only interesting points were who was taking Kelsey and Kittle, and then people, you know, would try and buck the trend. Like a D Hop might go slightly earlier, which would have paid off for people early at least. Um, but you were kind of like I found like most first rounds were pretty identical, give or take a couple of picks aside. Like it was almost like an auto draft. And I thought that was really strange because I think in all the years I play fantasy football, it's not been like that. It's uh, CEH was the only one that made it interesting late with his late surge in price. I, I don't think I've ever seen a, a static board like it was where there was so little movement between. So maybe the fact there wasn't a preseason probably played a lot into that. Yeah, that's a good point about the the lack of a preseason really not changing things much. And and maybe that was the other thing I took away that I might have followed the herd a bit too much on draft strategy with um, largely the consensus to collect a couple of running backs and then take advantage of the wide receiver depth and, and start pounding the wide receiver position. And I, I sort of followed that. And maybe it's a, a bad sign when so many people are doing the same thing like it's time to to get off and um you know try a different approach and differentiate yourself a little bit i should have done more of that i think i think as well though is you both made points that sort of bring my point together is that this was the first time that i'd done any projection ranking before the season had started so i'd created my projections and that for giving me my ranks and tiers um, that Murph and I put in our book and then I had it in front of me and I was really pleased with how mine came out a lot of them were boom picks but I thought if I'm going to win I want to win by picking these guys and I think because as Murph said and Pat said as well people took the same sort of players and there wasn't much diversification and because I was so into my picks and nothing really changed and I picked a lot from the t- uh, the turn quite often at the end of the draft I ended up with a lot of the first five six rounds my guys were the guys I was going after and I was getting them. So a lot of my teams looked the same to start with, like you both said. And then because there wasn't any diversification, I didn't really feel the need to flip-flop because my guys were still there and I was all in on them. So the people I obviously busted on hurt me all over the place as well. I think that that's a, a, a thing I always say and people sort of kill me for this over and over again. I just don't have that many my guys. I just don't. I don't have that many guys. I have maybe two maybe three a season. And I, I always am someone who's looking to create a spread. Um, the strategy will go how the strategy goes. And I, I did a lot of RBRB, but I, I noticed trends very quickly and picked up Mike Davis and busted my fab really early on, on guys like Davis, James Runson. And those guys, massive. Because I went from having a team where I lost a Christian McCaffrey or I lost Joe Mixon or I lost, um, you know, a, a running back who just wasn't producing and then was getting guys off the waiver wire who were then my guys for the rest of the year and carried me through, uh, like a Robinson, like a Davis, and got me through the filler that I was kind of snuck, you know, stuck. And then if I had guys that were out for periods of time that would come back, they kind of get me going. Guys like Todd Gurley, I had more Todd Gurley than I thought I did. And, you know, for the first eight weeks of the season, he was terrific. He got me through those ridiculously hard. I thought the first half of the season was really hard because of all the games and the bye week schedules. But I think it was interesting, the lack of diversification. And it, I think the teams that did well 
really attack the waiver wire in those first two or three weeks. Key that those guys stuck around like like Davis. No one was picking Davis up in week three, sure. thinking thinking oh he's going to last until week sixteen. You thought I might get five games out of out of Mike Davis, and if I win four of those games, I'm set for the playoffs. And that was my strategy. I put I put a lot of money in on him, and it paid off. But it, if I look back at my drafts, like the Warrior, so there was a 240 man tournament called the Warrior Bowl, which I came runner up in. And my draft is atrocious. Like I look back on it and the draft is really bad. <laughs> but I absolutely ran the table on the waiver wire and picked up five, six really good blokes that just got me through into into the final who all hit. And that was literally the difference was if I if I played with the team I drafted, I'd have been out early, really early because I missed on so many guys, but I just reacted quickly to the waiver wire. And I think this was the year that the waiver wire kind of came back because the last two years it's been a bit flat but what i'm interested in doing is is part of this is doing a bit of a deep dive and just trying to get some trends from like a really top level perspective and look at each major position and see if there was anything that kind of stuck out to you pat that okay how do we improve in in 2021 and get ourselves some more ships so what do you think about quarterback um was there anything that really stuck out to you with with quarterback this year that is going to make you rethink some strategy in, in 2021 yeah, in fact, maybe the biggest sea change at all, I think, in, uh, of all in my overall strategy. Like, I think the late-round quarterback idea kind of died this year. Like, I, I don't think you can really afford to be as patient at quarterback anymore just because there is a uh, just such a divide between the, the top tier and the uh, second class. Like, I mean, in a lot of ways, if you look at Philip Rivers – performance this season it was it was good I I think the Colts would say that they were pleased and the surface passing numbers looked pretty appealing I mean for the last basically half of the season he would average what two 270 passing yards a game and two touchdown passes and generally those are the kind of numbers you're happy with if you're throwing a guy out there but he added nothing whatsoever in the running game so most of those weeks when he was consistently putting up those 270 yard two touchdown games he was finishing as a quarterback too out of the top 12 and um i mean now you've just got well you've got the elite pure passer like patrick mahomes you've got these runners like lamar jackson deshaun watson josh allen kyler murray you know a a new class of well dak prescott who was you know breaking football before he was hurt Mm. uh Jalen Hurts looks like he's going to be another dynamic runner to add next year and then um you know the guys who don't run that much but run a little and are terrific passers like Aaron Rodgers uh looks like maybe Justin Herbert is ready to join that class so you've got about a you know 11 or 12 of those guys I think if you throw in like Trevor Lawrence next year, who I'm convinced is going to be pretty terrific right from the start. I think you need to get one of those guys. I don't think you can just afford to sit back and say, well, I'll just go with Jared Goff for a while and maybe try waivers. Um, You know, you can play matchups in a pinch and and pick someone off waivers and stream the position. But um, I kind of think you need to now get one of those heavy hitters at quarterback um, to keep up. And, you sacrificing a fifth or a sixth round draft pick to do it. You know, I used to think there were better ways to spend that fifth or sixth round draft pick. And I, I don't think I'm going to be approaching 2021 that way. I, I 
I couldn't agree more. I've said it already on here that I think if you look at the your quarterback was almost a league winner for you down the stretch. I mean, if you took Josh Allen in the, the seventh round this year, you're laughing all the way to the bank. Yes. Uh, he pr- he returned his ADP and then some. Aaron Rodgers, you would have got for an eighth round pick again. You'd have been delighted with him. Kyler Murray was going in the sixth. You'd have been happy with him. Mahomes is the only one. If him and and Jackson didn't return their ADPs as much, but I mean Mahomes didn't kill you. Um, he he was right up there and probably would have been the QB one on the season if you know, or would have been right right up there. But I notice there's there's kind of two tiers of quarterback now, and maybe Justin Herbert's maybe the bridge between the two, where you've got Allen, Rogers, Murray, Mahomes, Watson from the season, and maybe even Wilson. He was kind of like there on there. He sort of dropped off at the end there. I also don't think his yard, his rushing yard, is just sustainable because he he put up 500 yards rushing this year, and I I can see that regressing slightly. So sure. he's kind of on that cusp. But that that top five, I think, is is a hard one to break into. And then your next tier of Wilson, Tannehill, Brady. Herbert Jackson were kind of like they were your guys. You could play with any of those ten, and you were you were pretty set. And anything from there, you were you were massively behind the eight ball. Maybe Kirk Cousins, but no one drafted him. You picked him up late, and he got some late points down the stretch. You know those that took Matt Ryan, as you say, Jared Goff. They were the ones that really hurt you. Matt Stafford, a lot of people were in on Matt Stafford. You know he would have really hurt you this year if you took him. And I also noticed a lot of people took. And kept spare quarterbacks on their benches. It was very hard to stream um, quarterbacks this year because it, normally you'd find sort of five or six guys you could pick up on the waiver wire with less thirty percent ownership. But actually, there was only one, two guys because everyone was stashing a quarterback this year, mostly probably due to COVID or I, I don't know what. But I don't know. Did you find a similar similar sort of thing? It did seem that way. Um, like people did were more inclined to take two quarterbacks this year. And I, I do think maybe part of that was just uh, it, it seemed like a lot of leagues would add a couple of roster spots this year, sort of adjust for what they knew was going to be in a regular year. Maybe that was part of it, but um, it did seem like it was harder than ever to stream the position. And uh, I found that out the hard way since I did wait on quarterbacks a lot and found myself stuck with, uh, you know, Philip Rivers or, or Gardner Minshew or Jimmy Garoppolo in, in some of these leagues and had to, you know, try to move off these guys. And, um, you know, it, it was hard to find serviceable replacements on waivers. Yeah. I think the only the only two late round quarterbacks I think that kind of got you got away with were, were Tannehill and Brady. I think they were the only two that if you picked them up, you probably did reasonably well. Sure. Yeah, and uh, and you know not, they weren't even sort of they were later round, but mm. I I don't think they were the really for the people who really like to cut corners at the position. Mm. I don't think there were any corners to be cut. No, I, Justin yeah. Herbert was the Herbert, only guy if yes. you got him off waivers. Mm. Fitzmagic did a bit as well down early on, but he would have been True. going later because of the Tua worry. Even though Tua was never going to be the starter, there was always the concern that he'd take away Fitz's job earlier, so people weren't drafting him as early as maybe they would have done if Tua wasn't going to start the season or start half the season. I had that in a championship team where I had I had that. I went with Fitzpatrick because quarterbacks went far too early for the prices in the pay, and I was like, right, I'm kind of stuck. And I took I took Herbert with my last pick, thinking, well. I, I, I reckon that 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 sea change is going to happen at some point where they're going to bring in Tua, and I hope that Justin Herbert is playing before Tua plays, and that's kind of what happened, and it paid off. But 
that wasn't a strategy based on skill. It was purely just what was available on the board and it was luck. Mm. Yeah. And a, a couple weeks, it. a couple weeks in, it was like, I think some people were wondering whether Herbert was, you know, this good, if it was for real. And I think the game yeah. that, that woke people up oddly enough was, a, I want to say it was week five against your Buccaneers. Was yeah. it not when he went into Tampa and, and, he was you know, terrific. Yeah, um, three or four touchdowns, a couple of long ones. Yeah, I think that was the game where people realized that this was not a fluke with him. Yeah, he, he took on a top a top eight defense, and he, he was terrific. In that first half, he was very unfortunate that, you know, there was a fumble, and then there was a touchdown right before the half that kind of let out the Buccaneers to stay in it, and then they scored with the first – they, they did the double dip, scored yes. right at the end of the first half, scored right at the beginning of the second – then the, the momentum just completely changed. They got a, a, a an interception, another turnover, and and that was it. And then from there, it was like it was just an amountable climb. But really, they should have won that game. And, and it was terrific. The long ball to to Guyton, it was like eighty yards or something. Was was terrific. It was as good a ball thrown in the NFL this mm-hmm. year. And. I think you're right. I think that was the announcement of Herbert, and I thought this kid. And it's interesting because if you'd asked me this time last year, I would have said Justin Herbert has the, all the makings of a first round bust. I looked at him and thought, I looked at the tape. I thought he was wooden. I thought he was very static. Didn't didn't really escape the pocket. And then actually, he was one of the few players when I saw the the Senior Bowl when he got the MVP in the Senior Bowl, and then you saw the combine. You saw take out the and these pro day, and you actually thought. There's a lot of things he does not put on tape. And I thought, was it scheme? Was it Oregon just deliberately kept him in the pocket and restricted him? Or was it a case of he had all of this and just didn't know how to use it and he needed the coach to, to bring it out? And it was only really in the process, I thought, he, he's got something. And I took him in a lot of rookie drafts thinking, I've just, I, th- I think, you know, he's a safe bet. I think he could do something. I, don't th- I didn't expect him to be as good as he was, but... I thought I liked him as a as a as a safe bet of especially in the Superflex League. Let's see what you've got. If it doesn't work out, it's not a problem. You can probably still trade him because he'll be a starter and you'll probably get something back. Um and it's it's panned out. But he was one that a year ago I would have gone absolutely nowhere. Could not see him doing anything in the NFL. Because I just thought he was too static. Right. No, as as late as you know, as recently as a calendar year ago when he played my school in, in the Rose Bowl on uh, January 1st, Wisconsin versus Oregon. Mm. You know, they, they Oregon barely won. Uh, I think he had two rushing touchdowns and, and hurt Wisconsin far more as a runner than as a passer. Like he kind of didn't scare you as a Wisconsin fan watching that game at any point. Um, you know, even though there was just clearly evidence, arm talent, and I had seen it from him in other games. Um, but yeah, I mean, he has just made unbelievable strides this year and and you know clearly he's going to be at the you know near the top of the position for quite a while mm. I, I, there's not been a better first season other than Mahomes but he, obviously it wasn't his rookie year but there hasn't been a better first season from a quarterback in recent memory that I can I can recall and playing on yeah. such a bad team and I still don't know why they're bad if someone was to sit here and say how did had the Chargers only win five or six games I couldn't tell you I genuinely don't understand how that team has done as badly as it has with all the talent and weapons that it has. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how the Herbert 2020 season compares to the Trevor Lawrence 2021 mm. season because Lawrence is he's really good. I mean, he's a I think the best best maybe can't miss quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck. Mm. 
And, um, you know, I, I think he's going to be good right away. But do you, yeah, I, do you think with Lawrence, it's a case of, I mean, the landing spot for Herbert, as Murph said, with the Chargers was absolutely phenomenal. I mean, the weapons they had and the defense true. to go alongside that offense could have got Herbert out of a bit of trouble if the defense needed to, to make some plays on that side of the ball. Whereas Joe Burrow, bless him, went number one overall to the Bengals team, which needs some work. And is Trevor Lawrence going to do the same thing going to the Jags where they've got some weapons, but they don't have the offense and defense the Chargers have? If Trevor Lawrence is that good and he makes that much of a difference, he's going to be outstanding because he doesn't have the weapons to go to in Jacksonville. Well, I mean, I guess I, I don't... I, I like... LaVisca Chenault a lot. And I think DJ Chark is pretty good. And, um, you know, even Colin Johnson flashed a little bit this year as a a lower drafted, or I think he was a seventh rounder maybe. Um, So like, I don't hate the receiving weapons and their offensive line isn't that bad at all. And it might actually not be the worst thing for him, or at least from a fantasy perspective that the Jacksonville defense is probably going to be wretched again next year. That's probably going to force him to be in a lot of shootouts. So I think the rookie setup for Trevor Lawrence could be pretty ideal from a fantasy standpoint, Um, you know, and, and just uh, the talent is there and he runs too. like, he's not a a Kyler Murray or a Lamar Jackson, certainly, but um, he's aggressive running for touchdowns when he needs to, you know, I I think he's going to be a a guy more of a, a slightly less aggressive, slightly less reckless Josh Allen. I think he's going to run a lot like Josh Allen did this year when Allen was a little smarter about things where he still (laughs) gives you some touchdowns. Um, Maybe, you know, not the sort of rushing yardage that Lamar Jackson is going to give you or or Kyler Murray will, but um, you know, those rushing touchdowns are important. And I think you're going to get some out of him on top of you know, him being an excellent passer. Yeah, I I agree. Sorry, Murph. Yeah, I I agree too. I was just playing devil's advocate. Murph and I talked about rather, where would he rather go at the time? It was the Jets or the Jags and no one was really sure who the number one overall pick was. And we had a conversation about weapons and and team and everything like that. And for me, it was the Jags over the Jets. If I had to choose one of those two to go to, to be their quarterback, it was Jags all day long. It's not even close. Like, as you said, the wide receiver call, you you miss Keelan Cole. I think he's also a very underrated receiver on, yeah. on that team he's he's a free agent i think i don't know they might they might re-sign him of course but i do think he's an unrestricted free agent I and i, I think uh chris conley might be too yeah i think conley might go and, and dd westbrook will go I, I i reckon they might keep cole i think they can give him a contract to to stay because i think they've they've always had high hopes for him and they've always you just took a bit of time to put it all together but I know that he was someone that they were hopeful would would be a, a pretty useful player, and I think he was yeah, indeed this year. Yeah, he he made a lot of big plays, and I think that's a great core. You've got James Robinson, who I think is um, I don't think he's going to put the same season up again, especially with Lawrence. But I think he's going to be he can move the chains. He's he's a tough tough guy, and I think if they can keep that core together. I think Lawrence is, is, is definitely going to do something next year. And you couldn't say that at, at the Jets. I mean, I, I still think personally for me, I wouldn't take just I wouldn't take fields uh, if I was the Jets. I just think you're compounding and doubling down on the same mistake you did with Donald in, in you take a quarterback instead of taking weapons that are going to improve your team. The quarterback situation isn't great there, but it's not the whole problem. It's not even half the problem. It's if you if you take fields and you don't get a a, a better O line, um, and better better protection around the quarterback, 
Fields is going to fail anyway. It doesn't matter who you take. So I, I, I would personally urge the Jets to pass on Fields and take Sewell, but I guess we'll see what happens. It's interesting. Yeah, it sort of echoes the position that um, the Cardinals were in a couple of years ago with Kyler Murray looking at him after drafting Josh Rosen. And some people said, why don't you try to develop Rosen? And I, I know it's not the same comp, but obviously they made the right decision by going for the quarterback, you know, the, the second first round quarterback mm-hmm. in as many years. And it turned out to be the right choice, I think. But um, yeah, I, I do think Darnold has a better future than Josh Rosen did. And I, I do think uh, Justin Fields is less of a sure thing than Kyler Murray was. Although, yeah, I think it, it probably sealed it when Justin Fields had a terrific game and actually outplayed Trevor Lawrence in that bowl game the other night. Fields was just fantastic in that game. So I, I think that probably seals him as the number two. Interesting. Mm. I guess we'll see what happens. But I think the quarterback <laughs> position is 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 definitely up for grabs um, next year. And I think a lot of people won't sleep. If So you're looking at the board now. Let's say, for example, people are still going to go early on on Mahomes. I mean, he's still going to go in, say, the third round. Are you still inclined to pass on him if that's his price tag? And then if so, that group of, say, Allen, Rogers, Murray, or what round one do you think they'll go into your comfortable you would be comfortable paying the price for if they were on the board at say the start of a round yeah uh so i'm having a difficult time picturing like what round these guys go in especially since i'm i tend to be in some of these industry leagues where mm-hmm. people wait more than usual um you know i i don't know that i would want to go any later than the 6th or 7th I have a feeling I'm going to end up with Jalen Hurts in a lot of leagues um, because I'll be ready to confidently put him in the top 10 next year, and I'm not sure other people will be. Um, And I'll probably wind up with some Trevor Lawrence too because I'm actually not afraid to roll with him as my quarterback one right away. But don't think I want to let that position get away from me past about the seventh round. Like that would be as far as I'd want to push it. Yeah. I, it's going to be interesting to see what the price check is on some of these players. I, you know, I, I think the third is going to be too much for any quarterback. The fifth round, if, if Kyler or Josh Allen are there, that's mighty tempting now. Sure. And and I, I think we point. saw third was kind of where Mahomes and Lamar Jackson were going this year. And I think we saw that was probably too early. Like the, the people who took those guys early in the third round, I would say most likely regret it. Yeah. And I think, unless, unless you hit round one, round two, if you took Dalvin Cook and try to think of a round two player that would have come off good for you, maybe D hop, maybe Tyreek sure. Hill, if he fell far enough and then yeah. you got Mahomes, you probably did. Okay. But that would be a really small window of people and i think as well i think aaron Rodgers is going to be if he carries on at this pace and, and does eventually win the mvp if they go on and he, he can win the mvp and they get to their draft and they're drafting at the, the back end of the first or last in the first there's no way if they don't address if they don't get another wide receiver somehow there's absolutely no way they pass on a wide receiver if there isn't talent there at the end of the first there's no way that aaron Rodgers doesn't carry on being the quarterback of Green Bay. Wait, you're telling me they're not going to take Kyle Trask in the first round this year? Well, they might. They <laughs> might, but... I'm just saying, you know, that, that third quarterback spot is really tempting <laughs> to invest in this year. I mean, if they go ahead and they draft a Rashad Bateman or a Jalen Waddle or someone like that, I mean, oh. 
you give Aaron Rodgers someone else to get alongside Devontae Adams, it's lights out. I mean, they're playing so well right now. And yes, it's another season on and stuff like that. But I think Rodgers could be an eighth round steal next year. Yeah, you're getting my hopes up stocks as a Packers fan with all this talk about these great college wide receivers joining oh, if, uh, Aaron Rodgers' side. That would just, uh, yes, it sounds so good. If they draft Bateman... This that's it. Absolute I'm man crush. He'll be my discussion of next year. I cannot wait. If they drop yeah, he's Bateman. fantastic. So let's move the conversation on to running backs. Now, it was a really tough year for running backs this year, with you know, three of the top four not producing at all really through injury or just all round, just not really delivering. That's unfair to say of Zeke. I mean he did technically finish as an R B one, but I mean, we're not, what you kind, not what you drafted or, or paid for at a position. Do we think that two things? One, that the the top four is perhaps bigger than the top four now. And is there a, a difference in, in order given what we've seen this year? And do we think that running back, running back is too risky a play given the amount of turnover and injuries at the position as well as also too much of the running back by committee that's popping up? Yeah, I, I think that is sort of a consideration just that the predictability of the position has to weigh in at some point. And knowing that at wide receiver more so than with running back a little bit, you get what you pay for. Like if we go, I was looking at my rankings going into the season last year and um, at the running back position, I had in the, let's see, in the 90s, uh, let me just call this up here. I had guys like Miles Gaskin, number, well, Jeff Wilson, number 92, Miles Gaskin, 93, uh, Mike Davis, 95, um, Wayne Gallman, 102. Obviously, these guys were their ascension, with the exception of Gaskin, who I think was sort of the surprise starter for the Dolphins. Just no one kind of saw that coming, and everyone no. thought it would be this messy committee and you know, he started out as a featured back right away, but with his, him being the exception from that group, like all those guys, you talked about Mike Davis cashing in on the, the CMC injury. Um, you know, Wayne Gallman had Saquon go down and then Devonta Freeman go down in front of him. So, but we see that happen with running backs every year, guys who aren't necessarily extraordinary talents. I mean, let's face it, Mike Davis, Mike Davis is serviceable, but like he's not an extraordinary talent, but circumstances can push those guys um, to extraordinary value in fantasy football. And we see less of it at wide receiver. I mean, it's not unheard of. Nelson Aguilar, I think, was outside my top 100 in the rankings last year and and wound up being a pretty valuable player. Guys like uh, Tim Patrick and Mm. Travis Fulgham briefly had significant value this year, but it happens far more often at running back. And, you know, that should be one consideration. But the other consideration I think is that the position actually looks a lot deeper. Um, You know, I've put together some rough rankings. I'm not going to finalize them for another day or two, but like I've got David Montgomery down at running back 21, actually, for next year. You know, I, I am fading him a little bit. That's that's part of that. But, yeah. um, it, like, it goes a legitimate 20 to 25 guys deep, like guys I'd actually feel pretty good about starting next year. I mean, guys like James Robinson down in the, the late teens, 
you know, there J.K. Dobbins, as much as I love him, I, I couldn't get him in the top 12. Um, so, like, it, it does appear to be a deeper position with this infusion of youth we've gotten in the last couple of years. And there's there's more of that on the way with, you know, Travis Etienne and Najee Harris and, and some other interesting rookies. So, um, you know, it, it does look a little deeper. So I, I think it's going to be uh, maybe a good year to not go running back, running back right at the start. Yeah. I have to ask you a question because I know you're a massive fan, especially as a Badger, of Jonathan Taylor. Where do you have him next year and why? I'm keen. I've got him six behind what? McCaffrey, Cook, Camara, Barkley, and Derrick Henry. So You've made me look really stupid by saying that. <laughs> why, why is that? Why is that, Murph? Uh, he's having a chat with one of our writers, Nick, who's a massive now, listen, first of all, I'm going to preface this by saying... I genuinely think Murph just had a power cut. <laughs> I saw that. He went dark. He's gone half dark on his screen, Rush Nation, and he's gone off the PC. So whether Murph will be back, Pat, it could just be me and you now for the rest of the show. I hope you're okay with that because Murph was just about to get into his Jonathan Taylor track with Nick. Basically... Murph doesn't think he gets enough touches to be a running back one. And Nick is a huge Jonathan Taylor truther. Do you think he's going to get enough touches? You obviously do. But why do you think he's going to get enough touches with um, Naheem Hines still there being the receiving back? I do. And I I was very frustrated myself by the Colts. That's one guy I invested heavily in, like over-invested. I talked about that earlier on, maybe uh, putting too much into certain guys. And, And Taylor was certainly one of those guys. And it was frustrating early on when he was in a three-man committee, essentially, Mm. with Naheem Hines and Jordan Wilkins. But they did eventually cut Wilkins out of that. And they did sort of use Hines more as a passing down back. I mean, early in the season, they were were giving Hines goal line carries, which seems just extraordinarily stupid to me when I've seen, (laughs) you know, Jordan or uh, Jonathan Taylor punch in dozens of short yardage touchdowns at Wisconsin. So um, I do think they kind of came to their senses with his usage. And uh, though his schedule was pretty favorable over the last half of the season, I mean, we saw him do it to even, you know, a good Pittsburgh defense in, in week 16 and scored two touchdowns and win some people championships. So um, yeah, I, I am not too worried about the workload and um, you know, in this era, there are not too many guys we can count on for 20 touches every single week. Mm -hmm. You know, it is, it is sort of the committee era, but um, I, I think Taylor has enough uh, enough of a, a chokehold on that backfield now um, where he's clearly like the one a at very least. And like, he can still survive Naheem Hines cutting into his workload a bit and, and still put up running back one numbers. Yeah. I mean, like you said, we saw it at Wisconsin, just how good he was. And I think it just took the Colts a little longer than perhaps we thought it might to make him the one a of the, of the running back committee. And he's, such a bludgeon at the goal line that it would be silly not to use him and keep that three-headed monster going it we i think that we've seen it like you said against pittsburgh and then uh they played pittsburgh yesterday or the day but no um 
Week six, week, week 16. sixteen, yeah, and then in on week seventeen, he had an absolute monster, two hundred odd yards. Yeah, he's definitely got the skills. I mean, there was a I wrote an article, sort of mid draft season. I said, and my suggestion was not to go running back, running back if you were drafting at the twelfth turn, ten or twelfth turn. Take two wide receivers because at that point, Ceh and Gurley were there in the third, fourth, and I, I was saying if you could get Tyreek Hill and Devontae Adams at the end of the first, start of the second, and then get Gurley and maybe Ceh or a David Montgomery in third, fourth, you were in. A real good stead. Oh, very, very prescient stocks. That was a, a very outstanding call. I mean, if anyone would have done that, they would have been set set for success for sure, especially if it was Adams Hill and Montgomery. What a yeah. start that would have been. Yeah, especially if you were managed or if you got Montgomery and Gurley and you managed to flip flop Gurley for someone like um, James Robinson or a Mike Davis sure. after his early start and you managed to flip Gurley for a bit of a, a decent price midway through sort of week six or week seven I think you were absolutely laughing but do you think going wide receiver wide receiver considering it is the deepest position on the board do you think that's a potential option in 2021 after what you just said I do um given the depth and and the fact that I think you can get decent running backs that you can feel pretty good about in the third and fourth round you know I I feel pretty confident about the guys in the top 25 at running back and knowing that you know, you would be able to get at least one of those guys, if not two, if you waited and didn't take a receiver in the first or, or didn't take a running back in the first two rounds. So I do think it's viable. I also think there's kind of a drop off from maybe, I don't know, I've got after about 13 or so, like I think there's kind of a dip 13 or 14, right around Keenan Allen, Mike Evans. And then I think there's a little bit of a dip in quality where you have to take a bit of a leap of faith. Guys I like, certain things have to go right for them. Like DJ Moore, I like a lot, but he's got to start scoring touchdowns at some mm-hmm. point. Terry McLaurin, who's a terrific player, but is somehow, you know, somewhat handicapped by his quarterback situation. Um, you know, Adam Thielen, who's getting older. Robert Woods, who's, you know, steady, but maybe just doesn't have that wide receiver one upside. So, um, you know, I do think there's sort of a discernible drop from the mid-teens I think there are actually more than 12 like wide receiver one types, but then, you know, it, it drops off pretty quickly. And if you can get two of those guys and, and maybe, you know, two of the truly elite guys like, you know, the Metcalfs and if you could somehow pair a, a Tyreek Hill with a Metcalf in the first two rounds, like start me off with that sort of <laughs> yes, duo please. at wide receiver. And yeah, I'm happy to make, make do at running back. Do you think, Obviously, you've done a little bit of research being a college fan. Do you think Jamar Chase is the best wide receiver we've seen in years coming out of LSU? I mean, obviously, you said Trevor Lawrence is as, as good as prospect you've seen since Andrew Luck. And everything I've heard and watched so far on Chase, he seems to be the real deal. And I've heard few people comp him to the best thing we've seen since Julio Jones. And that's quite a compliment. It is. Um, I... I guess I don't feel as strongly about him being so far head and shoulders above recent number one receivers as I do with Lawrence uh, because I, I thought so highly of CD lamb last year um, of, you know, like DK Metcalf, even though he was sort of one dimensional. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we were sort of wish casting, I think when he was drafted, but like there was obviously immense physical talents that had the potential to be tapped um, I'm trying to think of who were some of the other wide receiver mega prospects lately. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe he is like the, the 
best in a while. And I do think he's going to be considered the clear wide receiver one in this class. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, I kind of landing spots can be really interesting with him. And um, you know, it's, it's possible he gets undervalued a little just cause he was out of sight, out of mind. And, and we didn't see him play football in 2020. So um but yeah, I, I, he's such an exciting prospect. There's really, there's just so much to like about him. Yeah, he really is. It would be, I think, it would be somewhat poetic if he managed to land at, at Cincinnati when they move on from AJ Green. I know they drafted T Higgins, but he is predominantly an outside guy. You know, he's from the hashes outwards to the numbers, lets the sideline do the work. Uh, he goes up and gets jump balls and stuff. But I think if you gave them T Higgins on the outside, then you've got if you give him back Jamar Chase, Joe Burrow, all barring that he comes back fit. Because he can be he plays all over the field, Chase. And I think if you gave Burrow Chase back, that would be very exciting for what we saw from Burrow this year. Oh, Burrow with Chase and T. Higgins on the outside and mm-hmm. Tyler Boyd in the slot. I yep. mean that would just be that that would get Bengal fans excited, like irrationally excited, and I could totally understand it. Yeah, and I, I could totally see them doing it as well because they want to give their boy Joe Burrow the weapons to go out and succeed. It's obviously that franchise does things a little differently as we've seen in the past, but it's definitely a move I can see them doing with what happened to Burrow. Like, you don't want your shiny tie getting injured, so how can we make that a bit better? I know we'll get your best friend from college in, and and you can go back out and tear it up, but. I I am completely in, in uh, agreement with you that you can do wide receiver, wide receiver, and I think I think it would be a prudent move if you can get value depending on mock drafts and stuff you've done, and I think it also hugely depends on what time of the season you're drafting. But somebody yeah. like like Michael Thomas, Pat, where obviously the season he had was not what you were expecting when you drafted him at six or seven, depending on where you took him in PPR leagues. What do you think happens to him in New Orleans? Obviously, does if Drew Brees retires, does that affect his draft stock or his game stock dramatically? Or if they manage to keep Drew Brees for another year and Thomas comes back healthy, is he going to be perhaps a steal, maybe late first, early second, because of what people, recency bias we know in fantasy football is a big thing? Yeah, it's interesting. So he, I believe, had finished wide receiver six in both 2000... 17 and 2018 before he had that crazy year in 2019 and and finished far away wide receiver one. And and now I've got him back at wide receiver six and I would certainly drop him a little bit from there. If Drew Brees does retire. Um, Although we saw Alvin Kamara's stock drop significantly with uh, the saints throwing to their backs less when Taysom Hill was a quarterback, but strangely enough, like Taysom Hill almost was better for Thomas than, than breeze had been. Um, Mm. You know, he, although, you know, I think it was like one game breeze and Thomas played together before breeze got hurt. But um, yeah, like he had a, a very, significant target share in the games where Taysom Hill played quarterback and and was still catching a lot of passes. And I think he had a, at least one 100 yard game in that short stretch. I mean, it was just such a washout year for Thomas, but oddly enough, I mean, he's going to be a a guy that is probably going to be there in the late second round for people uh, next year. And yeah, isn't that crazy to think of? I mean, I I don't think people are going to take, him ahead of Devonte Adams, Tyreek Hill, uh, DeAndre Hopkins, Stefan Diggs, and 
probably not DK Metcalf either. So, um, you know, that's wide receiver six at best. And uh, some people might prefer Calvin Ridley or even Chris Godwin. So yeah, strange to think that, you know, with, with Thomas being the break point in last year's drafts, like he was going to be the first non-running back taken, just a question of where, uh, and for him to be, you know, a, a possible late second, early third guy next year seems kind of wild. The, uh, you, is there a bigger flip-flop between one season and another? That, I know, I know. That's, that's crazy, especially if it is early third. If he does, if he is back to fitness and either Breeze or Taysom Hill is there, I think if you get him at the early third, I think he's going to cash in on his value regardless of who the quarterback is at New Orleans. I think he'll outperform his ADP at the early third. Yeah, Agree with you, Stocks. I think a lot of people will be irrationally scared away if um, if they open with Taysom Hill as the quarterback. Yeah, and and I think that could be an even bigger steal if you could get him in the third. If you could go one of the big four running backs and then come back, and I don't know who's going to be on the board at the end of the second, but I'm trying to think of a running back. So you could go running back, running back, and then get a Michael Thomas, or even if you wanted to go running back and then talk about the the WR stack we just talked about. If you could get. I mean, Metcalf's probably a, a, a bit too good now to be end of the second, but someone like a Godwin or maybe even a Stefan Diggs, if you could get either of those chaps at the end of the second and then a cheeky Michael Thomas in the third, I think you're pretty much set up for picking a fourth round running back and being very happy with how your draft started. Oh, yeah. Think about that. If if you start 101, you could conceivably have like a McCaffrey, Michael Thomas, um Calvin Ridley or Chris Godwin starts. That's that's pretty phenomenal. So it was against the Falcons, the Michael Thomas 100-yard game. I think he had 12 receptions or 15 targets or something. And it was the one game he got 28-odd points and blew up. And then everyone was like, Michael Thomas is back. And then he never played again. But somebody like Julio, the Falcons are in a bit of cap hell, as are the Saints. Julio, I guess, could be traded away now because of his age and stuff. Without Julio... How good do you think Calvin Ridley can be and where would you conceivably take him? Yeah, good question. So if Julio is no longer on the Falcons, I will probably push Ridley, who I now have at wide receiver seven, just behind Thomas. I would move him ahead of Thomas, uh, certainly. And would I consider moving him ahead of Diggs? Probably not, but they would have pretty similar value. I I think it would make Ridley a, a second round pick for sure. You know, he's like he showed late this past year, like he is definitely worthy of being a wide receiver one. And uh, certainly even if Jones does remain with the Falcons, he is going to be picked behind Ridley next year. Mm -hmm. 100%. I mean, we haven't even talked about him and we've got to the start of the third round and we haven't mentioned Julio Jones, which again, in another breath is a ridiculous statement all in itself that we haven't talked about Julio before the third round. But Age waits for no man except Tom Brady, apparently, which we'll have to wait and see how that goes. But obviously, Travis Kelsey tight end won by a significant margin this year. And if you took him second round, I think maybe you were actually happy with that, although it was slightly early. He was a top three receiver up until week 16. What do we do with tight end in 2021? Are we completely punting the position now till later on in the draft, or are we still going to be taking a George Kittle, like you said, was maybe a bit early, but are Kelsey and Kittle worthy of a late second, early third round pick, or are we just going to wait till later on? Um, well, I, boy, I think Kelsey might go in the first round of a majority of drafts next year. First round. 
I know, I know. And, um, you know, there, there have long been people who have sort of advocated that as being the right way to go. And, um, you know, it certainly seemed like there was more, well, I, I think the way 2020 played out is going to sort of skew the perspective on Kelsey's value because he was so far. Well, I mean, I guess maybe the gap wasn't that big between him and Darren Waller, but after those guys, there was such a a big drop off. Mm -hmm. Um, And it sort of is going to skew things a little bit because there was no Kittle tight end was pretty watered down besides uh, those besides Kelsey and um, Waller. And it just makes Kelsey look that much more valuable. And I think people are going to take that perception of his value and transfer transfer it to 2021. And that might be a mistake because, you know, Kittle will be healthy again, presumably Mm -hmm. Uh, Waller will be there. Uh, And, and boy, we try to talk ourselves into, tight end being deep every year and it never is. And maybe that's what I'm, I'm doing a little bit here, but there's at least hope at the position next year with, you know, Hawkinson being pretty steady. And, um, you know, I don't know if, if Tanyan's value is going to hold, but um, you know, Dallas Goddard, if he looks, if he's, you know, the sole guy in Philadelphia and um you know, Gronkowski even like squeezed a decent year out of him. <laughs> Kyle Pitts is a rookie, an exciting rookie coming in. And I know rookie tight ends are usually a sucker play, but Kyle Pitts is pretty special. So maybe there's a little more hope at the position. And I personally would have a hard time taking Travis Kelsey in the first round, unless it was a tight end premium league. But I do think he's going to go there in a lot of drafts. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're talking tight end premium, there's a there's a good case for Travis Kelsey being a top five pick. Oh, sure. Year. Absolutely. And we I played in a not this draft season, but the draft season before I played in a tight end premium league with my brother in law. We were drafting at eight as a joint co-op team. And I said, if Travis Kelsey's there because of how much tight ends got per reception, I said, we're taking Travis Kelsey. And then I said, if George Kittle's there in the second, we're going to double down on receipt on tight end because we can play him in the flex and then just just dominate the league and uh, I think one of the run I think maybe Dalvin Cook or Derek Henry was there and my brother-in-law said I can't I can't take a tight end over either of these two and I said that's fine we'll see what happens when he come back and Travis Kelsey fell to the second round and we snaffled him up and oh wow that was a bit of a steal <laughs> in a tight end premium league and I think the trouble I, I think we have as Brits playing fantasy football is because we are and, and don't don't take this the wrong way, Rush Nation. I'm not being derogatory about the way we play fantasy football, but I think we are behind perhaps the Americans in the formats we play. So we're moving away from the standard format of one quarterback, two running back, two wide receivers, tight end, and a flex to super flex and IDP and tight end premium and stuff like that. But I think people are slower at the uptake of getting that when they do decide to play in a league. So they think, oh, I'll join a tight end premium league. But when the draft starts, they go into normal draft mode and forget maybe it's a super flex or a tight end premium. So the Travis Kelsey's and, and, uh, and George Kittles fall a little bit. So there's a bit of value to be had there with them. And I think that is a big thing for me is knowing what league you're drafting in, because that can like, you can get a bit lost if you're not entirely sure on the scoring and stuff. Yeah, um, Absolutely you do have to play the format for that. And I think we, I've even seen a little bit of that here. 
like in the Scott Fishbowl, the giant charity league mm-hmm. here with over a thousand entries. Those are always tight end premium leagues because Scott Fish likes tight end premium leagues. And, um, you know, I, I played in that league for three or four years, swimming against the tide, kind of waiting on tight end before, um, you know, I, I realized going in this year, like I wanted to pay up and get a top tight end. Yep. Uh, unfortunately, the one I paid up for this year was George Kittle, so which did we. didn't work out that well <laughs> for me. But, um, you know, I, it definitely pays to you know boost your level of investment if you're going to play that format. Absolutely. I actually, I don't think it was George Kittle. We paid up for a guy we haven't even mentioned, Pat, about tight end, and that's Mark Andrews. Neither of us have mentioned his name after such a good year the year before. I don't know how I neglected to mention him. Yeah, the clear third best tight end this year. And just a guy who's so, I mean, really, for the most part, except for maybe these last couple of games when Marquise Brown showed up late to the party, um, you know, has, has been the Ravens' best pass catcher for the better part of two years Mm -hmm. and uh, just a a beast in the red zone. So, yeah, uh, he's very good. Another guy, like I forgot to mention in the first go-round was Noah Fant, who I think is pretty special athletically. And, um, you know, once – well, if Denver gets better quarterbacking, I think he's going to be a a very worthy target in the years to come. How dare you, Pat? How – dare you besmirch my Drew Locke? How dare you? No, I, I, I agree. I, but I think the reason we forgot Mark Andrews is, even though he was clearly the third best tight end, he didn't do his usual thing of blowing the doors off on a weekly basis. And he sort of just went a bit forgotten. Like you had him on your lineup and you were happy starting him, but sure. there was never any, like, oh, I need to trade for Mark Andrews because he's he's an elite talent. or And he went under the radar for most of the season, even though he was the big red zone threat. I think that might help as well. You might be able to get a bit of a steal on Mark Andrews next year. Yeah, he um, very steady, very consistent. So yeah, the, this the position at least going in seems to look a little healthier than it has been in past years, which might devalue Travis Kelsey a bit. Yet everyone's going to look at Travis Kelsey's 2020 value, and I think some people are going to uh maybe overspend a bit on him as a result 100 100 i remember pat the first time you came on and we talked about ranking you asked you said to me i said i afterwards i said i don't know how to do it i've got absolutely no idea how about going about projections or anything like that and you said well pick a team and send me your projections and i'll do them as well and we'll see how we differ and i never did do that and i'm very sorry pat i i apologize for not sending (laughs) you my rankings of a team quite all right it took me a long time to get used to projecting teams. And I don't know, obviously we've talked about you being the number one overall ranker this year, which is an absolutely phenomenal, phenomenal achievement. Do you, thank you. How do you go about your process with ranking? So for me, I do a projection of that offense against the defense for every game. And that gives me my rankings and then rather tweak it going with my gut. So I don't get a list. I get a list of A to Z and then that's how I use my rankings for that week. I don't then tweak it based on how I think that guy might do slightly better because I think my gut does the work when I'm projecting the games. What is your process for ranking week to week? Well, quite honestly, I don't even bother with projections in season because I just frankly don't have time for mm-hmm. it. So um, I mean, I go through position by position, go game by game and just sort of start building the rankings, slotting guys one game at a time. And um, 
you know, of course, I'm looking at things as I go along, defenses, you know, various defensive metrics I, I like to use to gauge the caliber of the opposition, um, you, you know, the sort of trends people are on with running back and wide receiver, uh, especially wide receiver and tight end. You have to look at, at snap percentage, routes run, targets, and just sort of when you look back at those in over the course of the season, you can see like trends and, and how playing time is trending, how targets are trending and, and sort of adjusting accordingly. And, um, you know, of course, factoring in defenses, although I do think maybe some rankers tend to overvalue defensive matchups a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think basically a lot of the people who play fantasy football like to, we get into the, the coaching aspect of it right we want to feel like we've got control over our teams and that we're making moves and you know doing things to proactively improve our chances to win and I think people tend to as a result overplay things like defensive matchups and weather a bit at times and um you know we saw we saw that with Devontae Adams against the Titans two weeks ago it was a snow game and the run game was going to be phenomenal and Derek Henry did nothing and Devontae Adams tore the pitch apart oh sure yeah so, sure. And, but I mean, people are always asking me, should I play uh, X inferior receiver over Y established very good receiver because of the matchup? And, you know, sometimes it, if the receivers are m- maybe a little closer, it might make sense. But, you know, when you're talking about, should I sit, I don't know, what would be a, a good example? Robert Woods, who was a tough matchup and, and play uh, Tim Patrick instead. Like, you know, I'm just going to, shut that down pretty much every time and, and go with the better player. But, you know, a lot of, a lot of people do overplay matchups. I kind of try to avoid that while still factoring them in to some degree. Yeah. I, like, I don't know if I've changed the process all that much. It's just, uh, you know, I guess looking at mostly the, the same kinds of numbers and usage trends and, uh, you know, trying to be, trying to react to things during the week. I mean, as you know, when one player goes out, that might have a ripple effect and make you change the rankings of five players on that team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the top wide receiver goes out, you have to bump up three other wide receivers, bump down the quarterback, you know, possibly bump up a tight end or a running back. Uh, so, you know, just reacting to things during the week after those initial rankings are in place, we didn't see that any more so than with Matt Stafford this year, did we? And Kenny Golladay playing and not oh, playing. Certainly. I mean, certainly. the swing that they had on Golladay as a huge high draft asset that you had anyway, not playing. But then uh, Matt Stafford going down and Mark, Marvin Jones going up and the run game in and out and then Gull- um, Hawkinson up and down. That was a difficult one to, to rank weekly just because of not having Golladay meant so many different things for that offense. I've got this I've got this image of you, Pat, with a huge board of names that you're just shuffling about up and down every week. And <laughs> do you do you leave your say, for instance, week one's done and you've got your list when you hit week two? Do you take everyone off the board and start again or do you go do you start moving your week one rankings around, if that makes sense? So Fantasy Pros actually gives us a nice little rankings tool. Uh, like an engine that we use to build it. And when you start the process, they say, do you want to start with the expert consensus of, of, I guess, people who have already done their rankings for the week? I always do mine on like Monday. So I'm among the first and I always just start with my rankings from the previous week. 
but then I just sort of ignore what's in play rather than just looking at them and moving names around all over the place. I have to like kind of start, I don't know. It's just the way my strange brain works where I, I just have to like clear the slate and start with the first game on the schedule, take the quarterbacks from that game, move those two quarterbacks to the top of the list. You know, even, even if one of the quarterbacks is Sam Darnold, you know, I'm, I'm briefly putting Sam Darnold ahead of Patrick Mahomes in my rankings until I go through all the games. So yeah, it's not like a, a blank board, not like it used to be in the old days when I first started ranking, when I actually would have to do it on just a, a blank uh, document and, and start typing names out and shuffling them around. But um, yeah, this makes it a little bit easier, but I still like to go through and sort of, you know, erase the blackboard, if you will. Yeah, I think I think maybe in a few years when big touch screens are an actual thing, you'll be able to do it on the screen as if you were moving the paper around on the list and just drag and drop people with your finger. Which I oh, think, that would be nice. I think as much work as it would be to have a list of paper names and move people about and stuff on a board whilst looking at computer screens for numbers and stuff, I think there would be something very cathartic about the whole manoeuvring names up and down and sliding people in and then stepping back and taking a look at it and thinking... I don't like him there and moving him up to or down to, or I think there would be something really nice about actually stepping back and looking at it rather than just staring at a screen. Agreed. Agreed. That would be fun to be able to do. I think, yeah, I need to invest in a smart screen from the primary school or a high school or something like that. Anyway, (laughs) I'm I'm getting off track. I'm getting, Pat, obviously you must've been asked this question a million times and I'm sorry for asking it, but it is a superb question for those who want to get into doing their personal rankings. Do you have any tips for those thinking about doing personal rankings at home, but don't know how to begin? So when I, when I, thought about doing it i had no idea where to even start and then we had a conversation about projecting the offenses and stuff and even that was a huge whirlpool for me to get lost in do you have any basic tips for people who want to get into doing their own rankings that would be um like this would be a good time to do it actually because i'm sure a lot of people are going into fantasy football withdrawal right Mm -hmm. now and um you know they can get ready for 2021 and start putting together their rankings i would say just call up you know, just do a, do a Google search for depth charts and you'll have there a bunch of different sites that will show all the NFL depth depth charts. And you can just go through them a position at a time, start at quarterback and, and go, you know, through all the teams, start with the Baltimore Ravens. Okay. Put Lamar Jackson at number one, you know, and make sure you're, uh, you know, typing these into a document where you've got it on list mode. So you can move around guys and it will uh, let you change the numbering as you shuffle players around, but just go through all the teams with all the draftable players and sort of slot them in one at a time and see where you end up. And, uh, you know, you can do that at all the positions and, and move them around throughout spring and summer and add the rookies once the, the draft happens, or even add the rookies now, as I've done. Oh, you got rookies in your rankings, right? Now. I do. I do. Well, at, at quarterback and running back right now, I, I'm, at the oh, stage where I have to insert the rookie receivers next. That's that's what I'm going to be working on tonight after you're in bed stocks. Uh, yeah. Okay. I'm going <laughs> to six hours behind here. I'm going to uh, shut you down talking about rankings now, Pat. We're going to we're going to move on to rookie running backs. No, I'm joking, obviously. But <laughs> I would like to know: Are you higher on Travis Etienne or Najee Harris right now without a landing spot? Etienne. Um, and I like Najee Harris and I think a lot of people are going to fall in love with him because of the, the size and, um, you know, I'm sure 
by now everyone has seen that magnificent hurdle he had of that uh, would-be tackler the other day. So I think that it's going to be debated ad nauseum over the course of the offseason, which of those guys. But I, I've, like, Travis Etienne would have been number two behind Jonathan Taylor for me going into this past year's draft. And uh, I've, I've just uh, – I love what he does in space, and yet he can still, you know, run between the tackles. Uh, Just such an exciting – I think he's just a perfect NFL prototype back, like perfect for today's NFL. I think he's going to be really good. I am – last year, I flip-flopped between DeAndre Swift and J.K. Dobbins as as my number one running back, and then – as we got closer to draft season, it went to J.K. Dobbins and Jonathan Taylor, and I never had a clear one. And I've got the same issue this year between Etienne and Najee Harris. And the more Najee Harris tape I watch, the more I like him. And I want personally to get to a point where I prefer him over Travis Etienne, but it's a very difficult thing to do when you know what Travis Etienne can do. To yeah, it's, I, I totally understand the conflict. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really difficult. I haven't... I because Murph and I wrote the book last year and we're going to do another one this year and I'm doing the rookie profiles I haven't written about rookie running backs yet because I want to start with my number one running back I did Jamar Chase as my one number one wide receiver and then uh, our college guys Tom he absolutely loves Trey Lance so I did Trey Lance's right up as my first quarterback so I went mm. away from the number one consensus but I want my running but Kyle Pitts is locked in as the tight end one and maybe Pat Freemuth has some conversation about the number two but it would be easy for me to do pits because he is the one but I really want my first running back to be the guy I'm convinced is the number one so I want to do that when I'm convinced and I was hoping you'd say Najee Harris is another tick in his box so I could just swing a little bit further towards the Bama <laughs> prospect you will not find any shortage of of uh, Twitter fantasy football analysts who think that though stocks. So I mean that is going to be the uh, the civil war of the summer. I think people having that debate uh, all the way up to the draft, no doubt the spring, I should say. But yeah, um, and it's going to be a fun debate to have, and I, I think it's also going to be fun. Uh, maybe Javante Williams is like the the clear number three for now, but then after that. I mean, the, the order of the running backs after the top three is really, you could shuffle those guys any number of ways. And I think there's going to be incredible debate over that too. So uh, there's going to be a lot to talk about even in the uh, the downtime this offseason. Yeah, we could go on, Pat, talking about rookie running backs for ages because I've got so much to say and no time to say it. But <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm fully invested in Najee Harris. And it is again, no landing spot, isn't it? We could fall in love with these guys and they oh, could sure. land somewhere that absolutely murders their fantasy value. Absolutely. Yeah, we saw that with DeAndre Swift last year, didn't we? Yep. Yeah, we sure did. Um, Pat, this has been an absolute pleasure. I can only apologize for Murph's, uh, which is now confirmed as a power outage. It got nuked halfway through the show. Um, but thank you for hanging with me. Where where can people find all your stuff, Pat? Where are you available? Well, Stocks, uh, thanks for having me. And uh, it's always great to talk to you and Murph. And I, I only regret that I was not able to get in one last dig at Arsenal before Murph left us uh, due to the power outage, but uh, people can find the Fits on Fantasy podcast simply by Googling it and, you know, getting it on, on Stitcher, or Apple, or whatever the podcast source they prefer to use is. And uh, they can find me on Twitter at Fitz underscore FF. And uh, my off-season rankings will be up very soon, I think within a couple of days, 
at thefootballgirl.com. It's crazy early, Pat. I'm sorry. It's crazy early. I haven't even <laughs> finished getting over week 17 and your rankings for next year are already up. That's, uh, that is dedication to the cause. Um, if you want, you can have another dig at Arsenal. I'm not going to stop you and Murph will hear it when you listen. <laughs> <laughs> Pat, this has, been a, uh, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on. Good luck. I hope Green Bay go all the way. That would be a home field advantage as well, going to that freezing north. Not good for anyone going right uh, yes that would be interesting if we did get uh, you know another ice ball up there but uh, yeah thanks again stocks always great to talk to you no worries Pat you stay safe in these troublesome times Murph we'll catch each other down the road but as always Rush Nation don't forget keep rushing a long, healthy life if you're HIV positive. With the current treatments, we can get patients down to being undetectable. The array of options is so much greater today. U equals U. Undetectable equals untransmittable. If someone who's HIV positive, they're taking their medication, they're undetectable, they're not able to pass HIV to their partners. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your HIV treatment is their prevention. Get more information at doitforyoumc.org. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Summer's just around the corner, so give your body the care it deserves with Osea's best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Created by infusing Andaria seaweed in barrels of botanical oils, it leaves skin silky soft and glowing. Plus, it's clinically proven to improve elasticity and deeply moisturize without feeling greasy. It's safe, clean, vegan skincare. Get 10% off your first order at oseamalibu.com with code GLOW, plus free shipping on orders over $60.